0: Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha
1: Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. If you're new here, my name is Natasha, and I'm a child therapist and a mom to three anxious kids, and I spend my time talking to you guys about how to parent our kids with anxiety and OCD. And today I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of how to help kids with the fear of throwing up. The fancy, fancy term is a And believe it or not, it is one of the top fears that I deal with in my practice. And that I think kids with anxiety have. So I have done topics on this before. I talked about it in episode 35. And I also have quite a few YouTube videos on it. So I have a kid's YouTube video that helps kids deal with it. That's episode 67 on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash anxious 78, but I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. And, um, I have episode one Oh three on my YouTube channel as well. That talks about how to handle it when anxiety makes you feel sick. So two kids, YouTube videos, and one podcast, but yet we are not done with this topic because it's super tricky when you have a child that you're trying to parent who's not feeling well. So I'm going to get into the do's and don'ts of how to help your child with a metaphobia because there's a, it's a very slippery slope when it comes to this, to this particular issue. But first, I have just a few announcements before we get started. If you didn't hear that I announced that I am revealing that I have a new book coming out and so I've been very quiet about it because I wasn't sure if I was allowed to talk about it, but the publisher said You can go ahead and talk about it and it is coming out in March, but you can actually pre-order it already on Amazon. And so the book is a social skills book for kids. It's a workbook. Um, I'm all about hands-on. So this is for kids ages six to 10 who need a little extra help with some social skills or some social rules. So I will leave a link in the show notes that you can check that out and maybe give your child a little extra help. Also today and tomorrow, there is a sensory workshop online. I did talk about it last week. Those of you that didn't hear my podcast last week or don't know about this. If you have a child, really any child who has some struggles with their behavior, or they have trouble self-regulating, or they have trouble sleeping or eating, or they have some sensory sensitivities. This workshop is for you if you feel like I just need any and all tools in my toolbox to help my child calm down, um, feel self-regulated, then you definitely don't want to miss this workshop. It's from my friends, Wendy and Alicia from my kids' table. She is, Alicia is awesome and Wendy is amazing too. And they both get together and they do these workshops and um, classes to help parents help their kids self-regulate and have what they call a sensory diet. And I love their approaches because they're not in my lane of thinking. I always am tackling thoughts and behaviors and they come up with a lot of really cool OT strategies that can definitely help. And I know my child is a sensory seeker. When he's overwhelmed, he is off the walls. He is bouncing on the couches. He is acting out. He is Driving my husband crazy. (laughs) And if I can redirect that energy and give him what his body needs, whether it is a deep pressure hug or he will actually do it himself, he will squish himself in between the mattress, those things tend to calm him down. So it's kind of cool. They'll walk you through figuring out what will help your child and you just add that to all the stuff that you've got going on. If you want to sign up for it, you have to catch it because it's going on today and tomorrow only. And then I think they do it once a year and that that's the end of that. So if you want to sign up for that, you definitely don't want to miss it because it is only today and tomorrow it's already started, but it's on demand. And so they have a couple of times that you can watch it and, um, you can watch it today and tomorrow they're going to run it as well. And then it will be over. So you can register at bit.ly slash sensory So that's B I T dot L Y slash sensory workshop, all lowercase, all one word. If that's confusing, you can just text me at 44222, and I will just text you the link. So just text me at 44222. You just put that number, like you're dialing a phone number, and then just type in the words sensory workshop, all one word, and that will automatically prompt me to send you the link. So I don't know if that's even more complicated, but text 44222, like it's the number, and then just write in the one word sensory workshop. And then I, the text will automatically send you the link. It's supposed to make it easier, but it sounds complicated. Anyway, don't miss that. That's going to be really good. Now let's move into today's talk about metaphobia. So a I'm just going to summarize it briefly, even though I've done other podcasts that you can definitely check out but it's really when your child is afraid of throwing up. And sometimes it starts off that they're anxious about something else, whether they're anxious to go to school and separate from you, or they're anxious to go do something, they're anxious to be around people. And then their stomach hurts because they're anxious about it. And then it sometimes will turn into an anxiety about the nausea, about the idea of throwing up. So a lot of times it starts off about a fear separate from the throw up and it morphs into just this huge fear of, oh my gosh, what if I throw up? So I'm gonna talk about the do's and the don'ts because a lot of times with this particular issue, a lot of times the intuitive thing to do is the wrong thing to do. And the the counterintuitive thing to do is the right thing to do. And it becomes a very slippery slope because the more kids worry about feeling sick, the more they feel sick. And depending on how our reaction is towards this issue, it can grow or can get smaller. And, and that becomes really tricky as parent, we want to do the right thing. And it's hard. It's hard when our kids like are on the floor, not feeling well. So the first thing that I would say that you should do is rule out medical. Now, a lot of times parents don't want to really focus on the medical arena because they don't want to make their child feel more anxious. They don't want to validate it. They just say, you know, you're anxious and it's just your anxiety and you're fine. It is really good to rule out medical because you don't want to go down this road of trying to get your child to work through it and trying to empower them to fight their anxiety. If there is a physical component and even if it's anxiety based, there might be some things that are maybe exasperating the stomach issues, whether it's reflux or some stomach upset, where you could get some medical intervention to help with that. And I know that firsthand because I messed up big time with my miss seven, and she has always had stomach problems. She had constipation when she was really little, and that's a really common anxiety trait. And so I didn't think much of it. I did bring her to the doctor and the doctors were just like, eh, it's probably anxiety. She's just constipated. And long story short, because this isn't about me today. I just wanted to rule out medical. Like I tell everybody else to do because it got really bad this school year in first grade where she was not eating in the cafeteria. She was doing a lot of avoiding. She was eating with the nurse, which is, you know, a very common emetophobia thing to do people with metaphobia either love the nurse or they hate the nurse. There's really no in between. (laughs) It's either like, she's my best friend and I want to live with her. Or like that is the center of the fear. Like that's where people go to get sick. So that's the last place I want to go. It's weird how different kids view the nurse differently, but my daughter thought she was her best friend. So (laughs) I rule out medical and I did find out that she had celiac disease, which was huge because her stomach was really hurting. Now, she did start feeling anxious about her stomach hurting, and her fear, her metaphobia fear, is that she's going to throw up in front of other people. So it did morph into a true anxiety issue driven by social anxiety. But when we went on a gluten free diet, the stomach pain got drastically reduced, and the patterns became more like a metaphobia, where It was in the morning right before school or Sunday night, right before school, um, or when she has dairy, we're still working on it. So, but the pattern became clearer once we were able to get the medical component in check. So, and there is, there is a correlation between celiac and anxiety and a lot of other medical conditions that, um, are stomach related. So the first thing to do is rule out medical and you want to go, I would say to a GI specialist because It's just good to just go right to the specialist. If you're able to do that, maybe get a referral from your pediatrician and just really have someone really thoroughly go through and make sure that there's no food allergies and there's no sign of celiac or Crohn's or IBS or anything else that can be causing those kind of stomach issues because you really don't want an anxious child in the medical world for too long uh, because they get anxious about it, which obviously makes sense. So That's the first step. And then once you get a clean bill of health and you know, okay, the GI specialist, the gastroenterologist said that my child's stomach is okay. And this is anxiety related. Then we can move forward. And this is something you don't want to do. So I'll talk about the do's and the don'ts. I'll sprinkle them both in at the same time. So you don't want to minimize your child's pain. A lot of times it's normal for us to say stuff like you're fine or it's just your anxiety you're not really sick or you don't really feel sick it's just your anxiety the reason why that language is not helpful is because i know this firsthand being a recovering anxious kid <laughs> now a recovering anxious adult that the stomach pain that i feel when i am anxious is real it hurts just as bad as a stomach virus so If somebody were to say to me, you're not sick or you're fine, or it's just anxiety, I would find that maybe insulting. And I would also feel like you don't get it because I feel like I'm going to throw up and I feel like I'm having a stomach virus so much. So that sometimes in the past, when I was anxious, I wouldn't know if I had a stomach virus or if it was my anxiety. And the only way I could tell is if I was about to do something that was anxiety producing, and then I did it. And then I felt better. I was like, Oh my gosh, that wasn't a stomach virus. That was anxiety. And sometimes I've had the flu, like a stomach flu. And I thought I was anxious about something because it feels the same for most people. You don't throw up when you are anxious, but there are people who do. So it kind of depends. I find that normally, If you are a person who gets anxious and you do throw up, then that's how it goes. And if you're a person who gets anxious and you feel nauseous but you don't throw up, then that's how it goes. Like it doesn't typically change over time. So you don't want to discount your child's pain. And so you want to talk to them more like this. You want to help them with their mind body connection. And you want to say, depending on their age. So I'm going to talk about it like maybe they're a little bit younger, but you can change my words and change it for dictator. And it can sound just the same. And you would say something like when you have anxiety or when you have a worry cloud, or when you have a dictator, your anxiety, I guess I'll just use anxiety. Your anxiety can make you feel sick. It can make your stomach hurt. And that's because it thinks there's an emergency going on. And so it's slowing everything down, including your stomach. And that makes people feel sick. So the pain is real, but what's causing the pain is your anxiety And so even though it does feel horrible, the more you pay attention to it, the more you cater to it, the more you avoid things and you treat yourself like you are sick, the more sick you're gonna feel. And that is the struggle. So when you feel like this, that's kind of like your body is having a false alarm. And when you respond to your body, like it is a true emergency, you're going to have more of them. And so we have to train your brain that it's a false alarm, it's not a real emergency, and that you're still gonna go about your business and do what you need to do because you're not gonna respond to that false alarm. You don't wanna train your brain that that was a great thing. Thank you for making me nauseous. Thank you for alerting me and making me feel very panicky. That was so helpful. Please do that more often. No, we don't want that. So that's how you wanna help your child with a mind-body connection. I do have two kids' YouTube videos where I try to help your children directly, and I'll leave those links below. So that um, you can view them. And I always say to parents, view my YouTube videos first if you're nervous about it. Make sure it's appropriate for your child, because I don't know your kids. And then if you think it's gonna be helpful, show them because I talk directly to your kids. I some people find that helpful. Okay. So once your child has a mind-body connection and you're not discounting it, um, you will be able to see patterns more clearly. And so you wanna help your child connect the dots. And so You don't want to come off accusatorily and say, do you notice that only when it's school days, you feel sick. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure none of you talk like that, but you don't want to blame your child. We want to have a more empathetic approach with our kids. And we want to have them see patterns in a non-judgmental, non-confrontational way. So you might say, when do you think your stomach hurts the most? You know, and they may not see the patterns. Right. And you might say, and I've done this with my daughter. I would say, when do you think your stomach hurts? Because she has, um, she has a metaphobia and my son, I wouldn't say he has a metaphobia, but the fear of throw up is definitely part of his OCD. So we're kind of dealing with it a lot in my family. And I even have it, um, myself as far as the nausea and stuff when I'm anxious, but it's like totally in check, but I, I do get it. So We'd want to say, you know, every time you feel nauseous, it's right before you have to go to school or right before you have to go to bed. And, and then as soon as you stay home for the day, what happens to your stomach? I feel better. Yeah. Now, if you had a stomach virus, will you feel better? No. Okay. And your child may not be as agreeable as that, but we want to help start making patterns and connections because most kids will argue with me that it's not anxiety. They, will argue that they are truly having a medical condition and that their parents are ignoring it. The school is ignoring it. No one realizes how much pain they're in. And so we want to validate the pain. We want to validate the struggle. And we also want them to see the patterns because it does feel so real. And it is so real. Like the pain is completely real that it's hard for kids to see that it's anxiety-based. And, you know, honestly, it was even hard for me to see that as a kid, to see the connection. So we want to show them the patterns and then we don't want to assume that that's the end of the story, that our child's afraid of throw up. And so we just need to do challenges around throw up. Now, if you went to a, a therapist that specializes in anxiety or OCD, the treatment for metaphobia is predominantly through exposure response prevention. Um, so they're going to expose your child to the word, Maybe pictures, images, videos. Maybe something actually in their office, like fake throw up. That is how you desensitize kids who have a metaphobia. Now I find that that's not enough. We want to dig even further because what's the worst part about the throw up? We want to get to that because that core fear. And you know, I talk a lot about core fears. That will give us an indication on what is happening. So. What's the worst part about throwing up? Well, for some kids, they might say the worst part would be, you know, everyone's going to stare at me. No one's going to be my friend. Now, another kid might say, well, I might choke on it and I might die. And another kid might say, well, I don't want to dehydrate. And another one might say, I might lose control or I might damage something. Now, most of the time it tends to be, I'm worried about what other people think, or I'm worried about the pain. I mean, those are the two most common, but you never know. We cannot assume what the struggle is for our child. So we don't wanna make assumptions. We wanna find out what's the worst part about throwing up. And we don't wanna say, what's, the, what's so bad about throwing up? Normally I start my sentence with, look, I know I don't like throwing up. Nobody likes throwing up, but what's the worst part about it for you? What, what scares you the most? And find out what their answer is. So up next, I'm gonna to talk to you about some tips on how to help your child work through their emetophobia, and what you can do and what you shouldn't do when you're trying to help them overcome this. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. Well, talking about all this health issues, I want to talk about care of care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamins and supplement packets right to your door. And I noticed when I use this, you go on and you take their online quiz and it, it's very, is a cute little quiz. And it will tell you exactly what vitamins you should take based on what you put in the quiz. And then they ship it to you. And it comes in these cute little packets with your name on it. And you just pull out a packet each day and you take the vitamins. I did not realize that a lot of my energy level issues were related to a lack of vitamins. So I found I was much more energetic. Once I started taking my daily vitamins, which I'm terrible at taking care of myself. Self-care is not my thing but when they make it so convenient and they are targeting exactly what you need, it makes a huge difference. So I love Care Of and they are going to love you because they are doing a monthly special New Year's offer. So you get 50% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins and you just have to go to takecareof.com. That's takecareof.com, T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com enter a T survival 50. Cause that's our code a T survival 50. And you get 50% off your first month, which is pretty awesome. Okay. Well, welcome back. So I want to talk about what you can do and can't do as a parent. Well, I don't want to say can't do, or shouldn't do. I don't like those, those words. I think they're too harsh, but what would be helpful versus maybe not so helpful. And when you have a metaphobia your anxiety wants you to avoid. And so you will avoid everything and anything that your brain connects to the feeling of nausea. So if you're a kid, the the thing that it will link to automatically is typically school. That's the first thing to go. And so anxiety will be like, hey, you know what? School's making you anxious. And there's an easy way to get rid of this nausea. Just don't go to school. And so school avoidance and emetophobia, they go hand in hand. And unfortunately, once you go down that slippery slope and you, so you, maybe you go to half day and then maybe eventually go to homeschooling, then the emetophobia wants more because avoidance is pretty much the meat of emetophobia. And knowing that as a parent, you want to help your child not avoid as much as you can. Now that's not about school or homeschool. It's just about avoidance or non-avoidance. And so even if your child is so critical and can't function, and maybe they are truly throwing up, or maybe they spend the entire time in the nurse's office, or maybe you can't get them out the door. There are some things that parentally, like we just can't prevent no matter what, like you can't physically pick your kid up and put them into the car and go to school although some of us try, you can't do that. It's not helpful. So if your child's already not refusing to go to school, you want to continue kind of fostering non-avoidance. And so I'll give you an example. Um, my daughter who's seven, she was already starting with, you know, the very typical emetophobia path. And recently, even though she's gluten-free, her stomach is still hurting her in the mornings when she has to go to school. And most of the time it's because she's socially nervous about something that's happening that day. Like she's worried someone's going to yell at her, or there's a substitute who's mean, there's always something that is very anxiety related. That's upsetting. And so she said, I don't want to go to school. I don't ever want to go to school. And so I had a frank conversation with her and my son. And I said, anxiety never wants you to go to school and anxiety wants you to just avoid. And we, there were seven and nine. So I was like, do you know what avoid means? And we had a conversation about what avoid means. And I said, and so your anxiety is going to say, you know what, just avoid school. And then everything will go away. But that's a total lie because once you avoid school, then it's going to be like, you know what, just avoid going out to eat and then you'll be fine. And then you're going to avoid that. And then it'll be like, you know what, just avoid going where there's other people around and you're going to be fine. And then you'll do that. It's never satisfied. So I had a frank conversation about that. You know, you think this is the answer, but if I let you avoid school all the time, then it's going to be greedy and it will take more from you. So depending on where your child is at, you want to talk to them that way. And even if your child's homeschooled or is at home, um, whether that's just, you know, your parental philosophy, or it's because of your child's anxiety, you still want to get them out of the house, um, separate from school. So you want to do challenges. You want to get them around other kids. You want to find out what is their core fear because for some kids it's they're, they're worried they're going to throw up in front of their peers. And so we get rid of school and they're not really around a group of kids per se. And so their anxiety goes down, but that's not, that's not going to be able to help them in life. They're going to have to be around peers again. So you'd want to find an activity or sign them up for a class and slowly work towards exposing them to whatever is their triggering environment and anxiety. Once you get rid of the triggering environment, anxiety will find the next triggering environment. So it will, it can change over time. So you want to do that and you want to help your child address the fear. So exposures are really helpful. And if your child has a metaphobia, you want to get them into therapy as soon as you can because out of all the themes and all the fears that I deal with in my practice, emetophobia is the one that can debilitate kids the most, or one of the themes that can debilitate kids the most. It is very powerful and it can happen very quickly. And it can seem like an overnight change in your child where all of a sudden they went from happy-go-lucky to totally dysfunctional and staying in their house. So you wanna get professional help. You don't wanna hem and haw on that one, There are other topics and themes and fears that you could try to work on at home. You don't have to go to a professional, but when it comes to a I feel like you want to get some help pretty quickly because you're going to want to do exposures and your child may not want to do exposures. And if there's a professional involved, they might be more open to it. So you want to find an anxiety or OCD therapist. An OCD therapist will be very well-versed in anxiety, and they're going to take the approach that's most effective, they're going to do cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. and they're going to do exposures. Um they're going to do ERP and that's really what you need with a metaphobia. So, um I always tell people to look on the International OCD Foundation's website at iocdf.org/find-help because that's a great place to start if you're bothering as a clinician to list yourself there. Hopefully, You have some more knowledge than the average therapist about this world, but you still have to vet them out, but it's a great place to start. There's also online programs. Um, Some of the people in my private Facebook group have talked about going to the turnaround program. I haven't been through it myself and I haven't reviewed it, but I have heard some people with emetophobia talk about going on, um, Talk about using the turnaround program, and it's online, and so that's another good option if you feel like you can't do therapy or you don't have access to therapists. There are also some good websites that purely work on um helping you do exposures at home for emetophobia. My favorite one is emetaphobiahelp.org, and she has a great resource section that gives you access to a lot of different ideas on how to do exposures. But if you're not comfortable with that and you don't know where to start and you, you know, you should get some professional guidance because you can really trigger somebody and make it very, not not, you can really trigger somebody and you can do more damage than good. So you really want to know what you're doing when it comes to exposures, especially with emetophobia. So, um, find a therapist. And if you can't find a therapist, get some guidance. There's a lot of people who will do video therapy as well, because with the metaphobia, you, you want that professional guidance to help you. If you've already seen a therapist and you know what you need to do, then a metaphobia help.org is a great website. Or if you're a therapist yourself and you're looking on, and you're looking at how to treat, uh, kids in your practice, this is a great resource. I also like YouTube. I will just Google, um, throw up videos. And I found quite a few really good ones. For some reason, people do like throw up montages and stuff. And those are perfect for my office. So, um, or you can go to Google images and you can type up, type the word throw up, and you'll find tons of images. The key is that when you're doing exposures with someone who is afraid to throw up, you do one image at a time and you do one image for quite a while until they're ready to move on. So it can be a slow pace. Um, but you don't just like bombard them with a bunch of images of throw up and, and think that they're gonna get better. That's really not the way to do it. And that's why it's good to consult with a therapist or get a therapist on your team and help you work with your child. So I also try to talk about mindset with my kids, with the kids in my practice and with my own kids. And I try to say, yes, your stomach does hurt. And I am so sorry for that. Your worry cloud is being so rude and is hitting the false alarm and making me feel really nauseous. And there's nothing that we can do about that because once the false alarm is hit, it's just going to be your, your body's going to react for a while. It takes a while for that alarm to get shut off. And the more we ignore the alarm and we go about our business, the sooner that false alarm will be turned off. And I explained this in my kids, YouTube video too. So I'll say like to my daughter, let's refocus. Let's refocus our attention on something else. We're accepting the fact that, yep, you feel nauseous. It's your worry cloud. There's nothing we can do about it. And we're moving on. And yeah, it's really hard to function when you feel nauseous, but the more we focus on it, Oh my gosh, I feel really sick. Oh my gosh. I still feel sick. Mom feel my head. Do I feel sick? I feel really sick. The more I hyper-focus on it, the longer I'm going to be sick. So I sprinkle in a little bit of act acceptance, commitment therapy, which is, you know, accepting, okay, this is happening. And then I'm redirecting and refocusing my attention on something else because there's something you can do about it, right? So we don't want to discount it and minimize it, but we want to teach our kids to reshift. We want to teach our kids. We want to teach our kids to refocus their attention and put their attention somewhere else, somewhere more enjoyable. So when I work with kids who have a hard time in the morning, will outline what their morning routine will look like. And a lot of it will be reshifting and refocusing their attention on something else. And sometimes parents aren't into their kids watching YouTube videos or doing something that's kind of distracting in the mornings. And for kids with metaphobia, it's really helpful. Like you don't want the worry cloud or the dictator to have a full stage in your child's brain. So you know, getting into a routine where they're watching YouTube or they're watching TV or they're doing something can be really helpful because the more you can engage the brain in something that's pleasurable and not focus on the stomach, the better. And then the second part of this, because it's not distraction. The second part of this is also accepting and acknowledging the stomach pain. Yes. I feel nauseous. Yes. My anxiety is pressing the false alarm and I'm having a false emergency right now but I'm also going to refocus my attention on something else. So it's different than distraction in the sense that I'm not trying to pretend like this isn't happening. I'm not coming back mentally and checking over and over again. Oh my gosh, it still hurt. Yep. I'm accepting it and I'm choosing to move on from it. So much easier said than done. I totally get that, but I wanted to give you a little bit of guidance on what to do versus what not to do down the slippery slope of emetophobia. So I will leave a link to all those resources I talked about. If you are looking for further support, always join my private Facebook group. We are almost at 10,000 parents in there, which is pretty amazing. And I will leave a link below, but you can also go to facebook.com slash groups slash AT parenting, anxious kids, or just, you can search AT parenting, anxious kids on Facebook and you will find us. If you want further support, you can always join my private, private Facebook group, and you can become a member of the AT Parenting Community, which is my community that has access to resources and group coaching calls and a bunch of other really good goodies on a weekly and monthly basis to help you along your journey, raising a kid with anxiety or OCD. So I hope you are enjoying the show. And if you would like to get back, please hit a star on iTunes and rate the show. I appreciate that. That tells other parents that this is not a waste of their time and they're going to get some value in listening to this podcast. I always like to end my show by reading someone who bothered to take the time to write a review. And if you want to write a review, I greatly appreciate that. And to show my gratitude, I always like to read one before I go. Shannon wrote, I am just finding this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing all your expertise on OCD and anxiety. This greatly affects my teenage daughter. Please continue with any OCD advice you have for teens. Wonderful podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you, Shannon, for leaving a review. I appreciate it. And I will definitely do my part in working on some OCD advice for teens. You do want to also check out my YouTube videos for kids. When I say kids, predominantly kids between the ages of eight and 25. I know 25 year olds aren't kids, but a lot of times adults will say, Hey, your YouTube videos are super helpful. I know they're supposed to be for kids and really teenagers will get a lot out of those YouTube videos. So definitely check those out. I have a playlist that is just for OCD, OCD for kids. And a lot of kids with OCD who are teenagers are finding those helpful. So hopefully that'll be another resource for you and your daughter, Shannon. Well, if you have something you would like to say, please leave a review. And maybe next time I'll be reading your review. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care.
0: When I first discovered Natasha, I was in a desperate place with my son and his anxiety was getting worse. And we had tried counseling. And it was not going well natasha gave us practical tools she wasn't like the books that we had read that were you know you have three kids but somehow you can magically spend 10 hours a day on your one anxious kid and just you know life is great for the other two she's helped me understand ocd on a level that no therapist i have come across seems to understand natasha had practical real life advice that we started implementing the day that we listened to them. Not only did it help with our son's anxiety, it helped my husband and I to recognize um, the anxiety that we had in our parenting that was actually contributing to our children's anxiety. Her tools are, I mean, life-changing. She has been amazing, and I'm so thankful for the work that she provides to all of us who have children. Um, who battle anxiety and OCD. It is so exciting to see him about a year later, just thriving in school. She really has guided us the whole way and without her, our lives would be very different. We're very grateful. My husband and I are forever grateful to Natasha Daniels for helping us to figure out where to even start with anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety or OCD, she is your go-to woman. Parenting a child with anxiety is not easy, and sometimes it feels hopeless, and um, in a desperate time in my journey with my son, I started searching the internet and found Natasha Daniels. She has been a lifesaver. Her resources have given me hope. They've given me tools and support, and I I highly recommend her and her resources. They are phenomenal, and they're some of the best resources you can find out there for anxiety and OCD.
1: Hi, my name is Natasha Daniels, and I understand what it's like to raise kids with anxiety and OCD. I'm doing it every single day. And I also know what it feels like to empower them, to give them the skills and tools to help themselves, to watch them blossom, face their fears, and become more than their anxiety and more than their OCD. And I want to do that for you as well. Join me in the AT Parenting Community I partner with you and walk alongside you in your journey, helping you getting to know your family and your child's particular needs and particular struggles. I'll help guide you and walk you through ways to empower your own kids and see success in your house. You will finally have someone in your corner who not only has the understanding of your struggle, but has the expertise and knowledge to help get you through it. You can find out more about the AT Parenting Community at atparentingcommunity.com or you can text all one word AT Parenting Community to 44222. Together we can
0: do this. She's really good and I hope I'll be like her. I have had OCD for five years I have trained my brain and you can do the same thing